I say, are you ready for the word? Yeah. All right, all right. Well, if y'all want to hear it as much as I want to preach it, something, something great going to happen today. Y'all give it up for T-Dub. Up in the house. Dios me la bendiga. God bless everybody. Dios me la bendiga. All right, um, Spanish first. Hechos 2, 42 a 44. Ellos estaban dedicados a aprender lo que los apóstoles enseñaban. Compartían lo que tenían, comían y oraban juntos. Todos sintieron un profundo asombro a los apóstoles, hacían muchas maravillas y señales milagrosas. Todos los creyentes permanecían unidos y compartían sus bienes. Now in English. English, huh? Let's hope I don't mess that one up. You got this. I got full confidence. <laughs> All right. Acts 2, 42 to 44. <clears throat> and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the, breathing of the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And all came upon them, every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all had... All had all things in common. All right, amen. Amen. Oh, hold on, hold on before you go. Is that uh, Apple or Android? Which what phone? Is this is Android all day, okay, yo. Okay, Android okay. all day. I just want y'all to know which, you know. I which, know what the good phones are. Which one we read the word from. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Don't need no B. That's all I'm saying. My house is divided. All right, let's pray. After all that, let's pray, right? Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the privilege and opportunity we get to uh, hear your word, to receive from your word. Now, Lord, even as we were talking um, in the pre-service as a worship team about how your word came to us in our language, Father, we're grateful that a lot of blood and tears paved the way for us to have your word. And so, Lord, may we not take moments like this for granted. Um, but, Lord, may we stand in awe that we get an opportunity not only to hear your word, but to hear it openly without fear of being persecuted, at least for now. Um, and so, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody say Amen. Amen. Well, if you haven't been with us, we have been in a sermon series called Habits of Grace. It is the means and by which God uses to grow us in, in godliness. Um, prayer and, and, and the word are things that God uses not to, not to save us. We are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. But after we are saved, God wants to grow us. God loves us enough. Yes, he loves us as we are, but he also loves us enough not to leave us as we are. Um, and so the beauty of the gospel is not only does it deliver us from the penalty of sin, but it also delivers us from the power of sin by as we can now be transformed and be renewed and be restored into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, these past few weeks, we've been talking ways uh, in, which, in which you all can, can grow. And prayer in the word has, has, has been, has held the last few weeks. But today, we're going to talk about the part that fellowship plays. In your spiritual growth, the part that fellowship plays in your spiritual growth. 
One of my favorite shows to watch is This Is Us. Don't judge me. One of my favorite things about the show, although I don't agree with everything on it, is family. One of the things I love about the show is it's family. This TV series has taught me a lot about family. Kevin, Kate, and Randall don't always feel like loving each other, but they have chosen to anyhow in this show. As the show depicts them making mistakes, learning, and forgiving, as you watch this show, you witness them working through family tension and the need to forgive and repent. But no matter what, they always come back together. They rejoice together. They fight together. I thought I would have got an amen somewhere. <laughs> they cry together. One episode, Randall is is struggling with, with being a black man and being, being a black kid adopted into a white family. He struggles. And they work through that. And they have honest conversations about that. Kate and her husband struggle with what it is to be a mom and desire to work and how easy it is for women jobs to get marginalized and pushed to the side, even though she finds meaning in her job. Kevin works through not feeling love and, 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 and struggling through, 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 through alcohol abuse. What I love about the show is it's not just family, but they put it all out there, willing to, to talk and to wrestle through it all. And, and, and you can tell that some of those conversations are very difficult to have. Some of those conversations are very awkward. Some of those conversations are, are uncomfortable, but, 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 but yet, as you watch the show, nevertheless, they deal with it. Because when we're family, we deal with it. We talk about it. We work, we work through it. Why? At the center of why they're working through their difficult things and their difficult conversations is because of this. At the end of the day, they value family. And I wonder if the church, the family of God, has any value in your heart. I know, I know, I know. Yes, I do know. And believe me, I know the church is messy. Amen, somebody. The people don't want to shoot at the church, but I don't mind shooting at the church. I don't mind shooting at my own church because I know. No, I know y'all. Y'all don't know like I know. <laughs> and I know y'all. And y'all know me. We messy. And I know the church has failed in many areas. It is failing in many areas. Like creating space for real conversation. Like the church becomes the one place where you can't talk about nothing. It's ridiculous to me. How in the world folks are supposed to understand how their faith coincide with the things that they go through week in and week out if don't nobody want to talk about nothing? But at the end of the day, this is us. By the way, this is not, this is not 
a stay at, at any church no matter what message. That's not what I'm preaching. Because I got reasons for people to exit the doors of a church. Because there are reasons to leave a church. In fact, as a pastor, I try to do a lot of listening on why people have left the church, even if it's my church. And I'm not saying that I agree with every reason that people leave. Not saying that. But I do want to hear in case God has something to teach me in people leaving. Also, I get because of some trauma, big Sundays is too much for some people. But we have to be creative about their fellowship. But isolation is not an option. We have talked about the role of the Bible in the life of the Christian, how rhythms of prayer places us in the channel of God's daily grace. We are in the thick of it now, and today we come to one of my favorite habits of grace, the role of the church in Christian relationships. This is truly one of the most fulfilling means of grace God designed in the Christian experience. And I thought it'd be wise to preach on this because the word fellowship has fallen on hard times. Many people during the pandemic got out of the rhythm or some have had second thoughts about the church. This habit of grace is viewed as optional by many, if convenient, if I have nothing else to do. It's not viewed as essential. Might one of the reasons you feel spiritually discouraged today be you are not regularly accessing this means of grace? And I want to be clear, I'm not here this morning to centralize Sunday mornings. I'm not. I believe Sunday mornings is one spiritual social system we created to access this means of grace. And it is a good one, but it shouldn't be the only one. And my aim this morning is to simply encourage you to access this means of grace, even if it's in various forms. See, the word fellowship has fallen on hard times lately, and we need to restore its importance in the church and even in your own soul. What is fellowship? What is fellowship? Verse today, Acts 2 Uh, Verses 44 through 47, I want to just read one part of it. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. The Greek root word is koinonia. It literally means common, commonality. It's how we tend to form our social network, commonality. This is particularly true for core network ties, such as close friends. But when it comes to weaker ties, we tend to share more diversity. And what we discovered during the pandemic is who we had close ties with and who we had weak ties with. We had quickly lost our weak ties, and though our close ties may have become more complicated, we fought to keep those. Your network likely became more homogeneous during the pandemic. There is something about commonality that binds us closer to people. It is not just for, it is just not familiarity, but, but, but our ability to share what we have in common. So let me ask you this. 
in these past two years, have you become closer to the church or more distant? Not just talking about Sunday morning. Remember, it's one spiritual social system we created to access this means of grace. I ask because if Christ is the core of who you are, then the greatest thing you, sh- you can share with anyone else is Christ. Let me say it again. If Christ is at the core of who you are, then the greatest thing that you can share with anyone else is Jesus, which is why I don't understand those who want to be married to unbelievers. I don't understand it. It's just a part of you that they just, they just not going to get. Therefore, you should have drawn closer to the church, not away. John writes that we cannot have fellowship with darkness any more than light has fellowship with darkness. Our fellowship is in the light and with others who are in the light of the gospel of Jesus. That is what church is ultimately rooted in, the commonality of the light. We don't first have shoes in common or skin in common or social media in common or wine in common, our fellowship is Jesus. Our connection with the light give rise to these spiritual social systems such as Sunday mornings. And what makes it more than a social system is we are the family of God. For an example, skating rinks emerge out of the commonality that skaters share in skating. And I do love some skating. Ain't that right, Will? We, we love us some, some skating. You ought to try it one day. Having the church, oh, Stephen, I almost forgot about you, love some skating. We got to go rolling one day, brother. Uh, however, the church is far more than a social gathering. We are family. This is us. How did this family emerge? Let's go back, y'all. Let's go back in time. How did we come about? How did this kind of fellowship, how did this thing called the church emerge? It emerged from the Holy Spirit himself. Our This Is Us starts in Acts chapter 2, verse, uh, uh, chapter two, verse 1 through 41. This is where we get the origin of the church. As the Spirit arrived in power and transformed this crowd of people into ambassadors who gathered a crowd of Jewish people and preached the gospel to them in the power of the Spirit, many of them believed in Jesus, y'all. Peter gives up. I mean, I mean, I mean, he's preaching, y'all. I mean, I mean, he preaches so good that 3,000 people. Now, I ain't had that experience yet. I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm still working. I'm, I'm going to get there one day. You know, maybe, maybe I'm messing around, y'all. Good preaching is not, is, not, is not measured by how many people you preach to, but the faithfulness of which you preach God's word. So this crowd, they, 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 they uh, gather. Peter preaches, and y'all, the spirit shows up in power. I mean, I mean real 
Holy Spirit, you can't ignore power. I mean, he comes and he cuts them to the heart and and, and these folks get saved and they come out of the crowd and into a family. They come out of a crowd and into a family. They come out of a crowd and into a family. They come out of a crowd and into the family. In fact, the church is, is, is known as the called out ones. We are the ones that God has called out of the world and then he starts something new called the family of God and that's you. And you were baptized, right? Because you called on the name of Jesus. The difference between the church and other social gatherings is that God started it. I didn't hit you the way it should have hit you. Let me say it again. You didn't let me in through the front door. Let me try the back door. What makes the church different than any other social gathering is God started it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God himself started it. God himself called the church into existence. It's the very thing that Jesus said, Jesus said in the gospel that, 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 that he was going to build his church. In the book of Acts, we see him building his church. But why? Why did the big three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, start this family? Well, for many reasons, but one main reason is for fellowship. And we now understand that fellowship is started by commonality, and our commonality is Jesus. Because what do we share mainly, church? Jesus. See, fellowship implies more, though, than the ability to coexist. It's actively engaging with one another, sharing life and faith in spiritual things. But what does that look like? We, you know, like the amen definition. We love definitions, right? Definitions don't require you to do nothing but be able to regurgitate them. But what happens when we got to practically take things out of the theoretical and and put it into practice? That's the hard part, y'all. Because it's easy to coexist. It's another thing when you got to do some life with some folks. Oh, my goodness, when you got to get to know them, my Lord, my King. If it don't do nothing else, it'll make you pray more and read your word more or to make you go crazy if you don't do those things. It is something about fellowship that calls us into a deep knowing of one another. Not just punching donuts. Or coffee. No, I'm talking about going deeper, 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 deeper. But what does it look like? And this is what the early church is going to help us see in the book of Acts chapter 2. Now, every time I teach this text, I have to make sure we know what type of passage this is in the book of Acts. Because if you don't understand what kind of passage it is, you're going to misinterpret it. This is what we call... A summary passage. A summary passage is not tied to a single event. It's simply Luke having collected so many snippets and stories about what the Christians were doing in the early stages of gathering and following Jesus. He rolled them all together to say, here's what life was like for these believers. And he says this, they were devoted to gospel gathering. They were devoted to gospel generosity. 
and that resulted in gospel growth. That's my outline, and I'm done after I get done preaching all three of them, of course. <laughs> That's the way I want us to see this summary passage. Gathering, generosity, and growth. Gathering, generosity, and growth. But with G3, I like it. But within the context, Luke is literally giving the social media glossy edit uh, a version of what was happening. This is a purely positive outlook at what was happening in the early church. So is this a true representation of what God was doing in Christian community in those first days? Absolutely, 100% yes. And was everything so positive in those first days? Absolutely, 100% no. Sometimes zealous Christians will make the comment, I wish we can go back to the early church. They only say that because they haven't read past Acts chapter 2. Because if you read past Acts chapter 2, you don't want to go back to that time. No, you don't. I mean, there was persecution. There was racial issues going on in the church. Oh, yes, all that stuff was happening right there in the book of Acts. Y'all think some of this stuff just started happening in America. No, no, no. Y'all don't read y'all Bibles well enough. No, they had some drama going on in the family of God, even at the start. And God was doing all kinds of miracles. But yet they still have drama because wherever there's flesh, there's mess. Amen, somebody. God was doing, mar- but yet and still, in the midst of the mess, God was doing some, some marvelous things. But as with every early, the early church had problems because this is us. The verse reads this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles, the teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread in the prayers, and I came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. First point is gospel gathering. If there's one thing families do, love it or hate it, and there is a love-hate relationship between gathering with your family, they gathered. God's people gathering is God's idea. That came out of the mind of God, that we ought to gather. And it's important to examine what the early church did when they gathered because we don't need more hangouts. We don't need more groups. You can belong to a million things today. What we need most today is to learn the art of gospel fluency so we can have gospel fellowship. Notice in verse 42 that they were devoted to four activities, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, in prayer. None of this activity is new to them, but the content of it changed because of their new life in Jesus. The Jewish people, they prayed. They read their word. They did all that. But something about the content changed. Jesus changed their content. Jesus became the center, not religion, not festivals, but, but Jesus himself became the content in which they were nourishing individually and collectively. 
They all wanted to grow in Jesus and love each other. And I ought to say that if you're growing in Jesus, there's a love that compels you towards brothers and sisters in the faith. It's a byproduct of growing in Jesus. And if love is not growing inside of you, then you're not growing in Jesus. And when God's love grows inside of you, there is no containing that love. That love cannot be contained because that's the same love that went up on Calvary and had nails in his hands and nails in his feet and a spear in his side. That kind of love grows in the inside of you and it got to get out. So you ought to grow not only in Jesus but love for one another. And the early church had some serious challenges. They had persecution and they were very poor as well. And it was the gathering that kept them going. It was the gathering that kept them safe. It was the gathering that kept them pushing. Fellowship is an indispensable habit of grace in the Christian faith and one of God's chief means of grace in our lives. The fellowship involved prayer in the word, both of which we've talked about these last few weeks. And as you can see now, both that should be enjoyed in fellowship. We are sharing Christ. Praise God for personal devotions. But man, I love to enjoy these both with others. You ever enjoyed the word with your brothers and sisters? I mean, you ever had a moment where y'all just flowing? I mean, I mean, y'all just going, God did this in my life, and God did this. I read this scripture, bro, and I got this out. Since I read this, and I got this out of this, and all of a sudden, you start to get goosebumps and chills. You ever had that moment, and you left encouraged, and sometimes you left singing, and sometimes you left praising God, because something happens when we begin to share Christ with one another. Oh, words can't explain it. Words can't fully articulate it. But, but, but something happens in the soul when we get together and we enjoy Jesus. Remember, fellowship implies more than the ability to coexist. It is actively engaging with one another, sharing of life and faith and spiritual things. One writer said this, true fellowship. I like this, y'all. This is good. True fellowship is less like friends gathered to watch the Super Bowl. And more like players on the field in blood, sweat, and tears, huddled in the backfield only in preparation for the next down. I love that. I love that. I love that. I'm going to read it again. True fellowship is less like friends gathering to watch the Super Bowl. It's more like players on the field in blood, sweat, and tears, huddled in the backfield only in preparation for the next down. Because Christian fellowship labors to keep all the saints saved. Oh, y'all not with me this morning? Y'all not with me? Y'all not getting this? Christian fellowship is laboring, in a sense, to keep your tail saved. Yes, it is. It's, it's laboring to keep you in the flock. It's, it's laboring. See, 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 y'all might not feel it the way that I feel it because as a pastor, I know why we do fellowship. I know why, why we have G3 and G4. I ain't doing this because I ain't got nothing else to do. I'm doing it because I'm trying to make sure y'all make it to the finish line by God's grace. Christian fellowship labors to keep your tail saved. It may be hard for us to say it. It may be a hard pill for you to swallow this morning, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyways. 
you need the church. Oh, uh-oh, I may have upset some folks, but I'm going to go and say it one more time. You may not like it. It may hit you the wrong way. It may make you uncomfortable, even online, but I'm going to say it again. You need the church. It was the pandemic that taught us human relationship is not to be taken for granted. When the pandemic, y'all remember, right? I went too long ago. We're kind of still in the thing, right? It's still, still disrupting our lives, right? When the pandemic disrupted our social life, we felt it. Society had little time to consider the social implications of the pandemic as it was reactive to reducing the mortality. But we eventually felt the impact in four social domains, social network, uh, social support, social interaction, and social intimacy. We quickly became acquainted with the term social distance as it was entrenched in both policy and public language. The pandemic, friends, exposed our need for one another. It exposed the false narrative of independent people. That doesn't exist. I don't care. I don't care how, how well your bank account is today. I don't care. I don't care how many degrees you got. And I don't care about your wardrobe. And I don't care how many cars and houses you got. Your tail is dependent on somebody because your tail ain't the living God. You need somebody in some way. It exposed our deep need for one another, especially the role we play in each other's spiritual walk. What many Christians fail to realize is that perseverance in the faith is by God's design a group project. God is sovereign in salvation, but we also see how God sovereignly uses means to accomplish his purpose. And brothers and sisters, a part a part of God's sovereign plan for nourishing our faith, keeping us in the 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 faith, and sustaining our faith until we die is through fellowship. I believe the more we realize we need each other, the more generous we will be as a whole. Let me say it again. The more we realize that we need one another, the more generous we will become. The more we realize that we need one another, the more generous we will become. At least it was true for the early church. They realized that they needed each other, and what was the result? Gospel generosity. What was the result? Gospel generosity. Look back, verses 44 through 46. I'm not making this up. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and disrupting the proceeds to all. I mean, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. What separates this community from what has been mistakenly labeled communism is that these people were so affected by the gospel that they decided themselves, themselves to sacrifice their own net worth for the sake of another. They decided it on themselves. So you didn't shout, right? Because y'all shout if somebody get healed, y'all like, that's a miracle. Y'all shout, if somebody goes to the third heaven, y'all like, that's a miracle. But y'all just missed a miracle right here. Stingy folks start giving up stuff. And ain't nobody for them. 
Like, you know how hard that is for us? Like, 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 it's not like we like, hey, you can have my stuff. Like, no, I need my extra just in case of a rainy day. They're giving their extra away. Willingly. They're just going to apostles like, take this and do whatever it is that you need to do. That is a miracle to me. They decided themselves. They weren't under compulsion. No government was telling them to do this. They all still considered their possessions as personal properties to do with it as they please. And what pleased them was to look out for one another like a family. Hello? What compelled them? It simply came from the heart of gratitude that God had provided for all my needs. So now I want to, in return out of worship, now help other people. Pastor Dan says this. He says, gospel generosity is always motivated by what God has done in Jesus to change my thoughts and behavior regarding the things I possess to become things that's blessed. I don't think that these people were the wealthiest 1% in Jerusalem in the day. They were not the wealthiest people. If they were, they wouldn't have to share their stuff. They certainly had the least political power. Their leaders was crucified by the powers that be. So they're poor. They ain't got no juice. But yet everybody needs are met. They didn't see their brother and sister situation as that's their situation. They seen it as this is us. I believe the spirit opened their eyes to see they were really dependent on each other because they were the body. Now, I believe that fellowship can be seen as the nervous system to the body. What are essential things that the human body needs to stay alive? Social media? Some of y'all are like, yeah, yeah, sure. You don't know, but yeah. Obey? Just keep looking at me. No. Money? Nope. All right, all right, all right. Be serious, for real, for real. What does the body need? Here's what I discovered. But well, all the things are set, set aside in these four things. Two that without it, then the Bible. I have phone. Wow. Uh, two that without it, then the Bible, uh, uh, then, then the body would, would actually die at need. The body needs food and water, but can survive an extended period of time without either of those. But at some point it will need it. But it also needs oxygen. And it also needs a nervous system. Without these two, the body dies immediately. It is the nervous system that grabs my attention because I heard about oxygen. Because the other three we hear about often, right? But the nervous system is so important because it helps parts in the body to communicate. The body is so dependent on each other that without a continual line of communication, the body will die because the parts wouldn't be able to depend on one another. That's crazy, isn't it? One of the ways your body stays alive is by dependency on the other parts. There is, there is no one part that keeps the body alive by itself. And the nervous system exists to keep them connected. 
And God has orchestrated his body, the church, in the same way. We need each other. So the perseverance of the body is contingent on all parts. And our fellowship serves as the nervous system. Sunday mornings are important because it acts as a nervous system. It helps us to be connected. It gives us space to check in. How you doing? What you doing? You good? You straight? You need anything? How you doing spiritually? You all right? The devil been messing with you this week. The devil been messing with me too this week. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You been struggling in your marriage? Oh, you not alone. I've been struggling in my marriage. So can we pray for one another? Can I lean on your shoulder? Can you lean on my shoulder? So you cannot have those things if you're not in a space where you can communicate, where you can relate. Now, once again, I said this sermon is not to centralize Sunday morning. I hope Sunday mornings serve as a spark or, or, or just a place for, for you to connect. But I sure hope that, 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 that the only time you connect with the body is not on Sunday mornings, baby. I hope that you exchange some phone numbers and get to know some folks and go hang out with some folks and learn that there's wisdom in the body, that there's love in the body, that there's creativity in the body, that God got some answers to some prayers that you've been praying, but because you ain't been fellowshipping, you ain't been getting your answers. But your answer could be your brother and sister next to you. Friends, fellowship is important. It's the nervous system. You see, the nervous system uses specialized cells called neurons to send signals and messages all over the body. These electrical signals travel between your brain, skin, and organs and glands and muscles. The message helps you move your limbs, help you feel sensation and pain. See, we have things like conversation, the conversation, things like Marriage barbecues, things like G3, G4, so that you all can communicate. And if we are connected, what begins to happen is that I begin to feel your pain. Mm -hmm. This is why the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. And we say amen. But you ever wonder why you can't rejoice when others rejoice? Have you ever wondered why it's hard for you to weep when others are weeping? The reason why is because we have not spent enough time being connected to one another. I love the way this one preacher said. He says, if I slam my hand in the door, I love it. That's what he said. He said, if I slam my hand in the door, my whole body starts reacting. You ever slammed your finger we're going to talk about the words that you said. We're just going to talk about the other reactions, right? Because y'all are holy and saved. Of course, we, you know, we don't do that around here. Uh, we say, sanctify, filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't even know what words you're even referring to right now, Pastor. And so you slam your hand in the door and the entire body reacts as if the entire body got slammed in the door. And the reason why the body responds, he says, is because because it's connected to the hand. And so you start jumping, although the feet hasn't been affected. You start jumping and you start moving because when one part of the body is affected, the entire body responds. And he says you can know who you're connected to by how they respond to your pain and how they respond to your weeping. And when folks can't respond to what's going on in your life. It's a chance that they may not be connected to you. And friends, we don't want to be a church that just shows up and we don't respond to one another's pain. We want to be a church that actually responds to one another's pain. 
And so the early church, when one person didn't have something, they started moving because they were in fellowship and the nervous system start sending signals all over the body. And, 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 when the, and when the nervous system starts sending signals, it doesn't just start sending signals just to send signals, but the limbs started moving and the feet started moving and the hands started moving and the mouth started moving. Why? Because they were, they, 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 they were so connected. But, but, but here's what got me. Because the limbs started to move, because the heart started to beat for their brothers and sisters. This is what got me, y'all. Because, because they didn't just say, I love you, but because they were willing to, to reach down in their pockets and to say that I love you. Because, because they were willing to, to give up their, their goods, because they were willing to give up their property, because they were willing to do this, not just for their brothers and sisters, but for the sake of the kingdom. Something happened in society. Something happened with those who are around them. Something happened in the hearts of their neighbors, because when we love one another, it is the greatest apologetic that the world can ever see. Jesus says it this way, they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you Love one another. Folks started getting saved because they saw something real. Y'all not with me this morning. We sometimes want to argue folks down about the Bible. We want to articulate Greek and Hebrew. But what we need to articulate and communicate is the love of Jesus by the way in which we love one another. Folks saw light shining in Jerusalem. Folks saw salt in Jerusalem, and it was because these folks love one another. So what's the net result of these gospel gatherings and gospel generosity? Gospel growth. Here it is. Having favor with all people, the Lord added to their number. Day by day, those who were being saved. Again, we find the Lord adds to their number day by day, not the miraculous 3,000 ones, though, 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 though that's coming again in a few chapters, but it said every day, every day the gospel grows. Let me ask again. Was this a per- perfect group of people? No, it wasn't. But when dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, this group of people gained favor in the community. They met real needs. And steadily and persistently, the church grew person after person, putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And here we taste how potent and personal is fellowship as a means of grace. God pulls people out of the crowd and he places them in a family. And they are attracted to the family because of the rich fellowship that exists in the family. Not just any fellowship. It is the fellowship in which, as Paul says in Philippians, you are partakers with me of grace. In the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. One of the biggest defenses for the gospel is Christian fellowship. And not just any fellowship, but a fellowship that calls you out of the crowd and into the family of God. And in the family, you not only become known to God, but to us. The fellowship where we know each other. The fellowship where we get close. 
The fellowship where we stay close. The fellowship where we get deep. Where a brother and sister knows me as me. We go past the Sunday mornings. How you doing? Blessed and highly favored. How's your week? Oh, just peachy. You doing all right? Couldn't be better. No, I'm talking about moving past the mask. I'm talking about where we can keep it a hundred, keep it a buck. Now, I'm not saying you got to say it to everybody. But what I'm saying is that you ought to have some folks in the room that knows you. I'm talking about some folks that can tell the difference between you and your Facebook page. I mean, some folks that you ain't presenting your profile to all the time. Some folks where you can say, I got some ugly stuff in this heart and I got some places where I can lay it down. I got some folks that I can be completely honest with, where I can lay it all out, where, where I don't have to act anymore. Where we become more than a crowd and more than a face, but a name. We often rejoice that, that God knows us by name, and, and we should rejoice over that, that the God of the universe who spoke time into existence, who, who stood on nothing, so, uh, uh, looked at nothing, but by the time he was done, there was something. We should rejoice that the God who walked with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the God who delivered the Israelites by spreading the Red Sea and raining manna out of heaven, the, 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 the God who heals the blind and, and, and unstopped deaf ears knows us by name. We ought to rejoice over that. Friends, we ought to rejoice as well when we're known by other people. That I'm not just a number among the billions of people. It's common these days to attend church and be there week after week and see the same people and say hi to the same people and never really get past the superficial social interaction. After a while, you develop an excuse. I don't know their name. It'd be too awkward if I asked now. You ever had been in that position? You know what I'm talking about? Like you've been kicking it with somebody and you don't know their name. And you just don't know how to bring it to them. Because I done ate over your house and I don't know your name. So you like, suck. <laughs> After a while they catch on that you ain't never said their name before. And then they come to you like, you don't know my name. You know I know your name. <laughs> you on Facebook trying to find them. You hope all they ain't on there. You're hopping on IG and TikTok. You're hoping somebody in the room say they name so then you know they name. Y'all don't want to be real, but I've been in that position. I don't know your name. I don't know it. <laughs> Pray to say it. I don't know your name. You done prayed for them. You said, you over that God, you know your daughter and your son. And Lord, you know their name, Lord. Bless them. Bless them because I don't know it right now. I don't know it. <laughs> it's the, the truth. And it keeps us from fellowshipping y'all crazy. <laughs> then you do this with more people, and we say this ridiculous phrase. We lie to ourselves. We say this. I'm good with faces and not names. Listen, everyone is good with faces. This is a scientific fact. Your brain is wired to pay attention to faces. So while I don't, don't disagree that you might be bad with names, being good with faces doesn't justify 
Everyone is good with faith. What Acts is subtly going to push us towards as the worship team is coming back, here is this. Community is what we need. Even if sometimes we got to push past the awkwardness of forgetting a name and try to know one another, whether or not we're okay with being known. It's not one thing to know other people. You know the hard part is allowing people to know you. Isn't that hard, church? Because people are not as safe as God. People fail us, do they not? People disappoint us, do they not? People disagree with us at times. Can we be honest? Being known by people is not always easy because I don't know if you would really love the real me. It's hard. It's, it's complicated. It's, it's difficult. It's, it's messy. It's so easy to just go to Sunday morning church, check off the box, say I did that, slip out of the back, get to my car before somebody can say hi or hello. It's hard. It is. I know that it's hard. I know that it's challenging. That's why a lot of churches never get down to real fellowship. This is the reason why we never really have real conversation. How are you going to have real conversation? You don't even know, know folks. It's difficult. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's awkward. But can I help you? Listen, I want you to be wise in fellowship. I'm not saying that you need to go spill your mess to everybody because everybody can't handle your mess. I'm not saying that. I am saying that you need to progress towards some authentic relationships. But if you're concerned about people not loving you, you have got to root yourself in the security that God loves you. You've got to root yourself in that. That the God of the universe loves you. Let me tell you why the gospel is, is the foundation of our fellowship. Because it allows us to drop the mask and to be real. Because if God had to die for you, you are not a good person. So nobody should be surprised that anybody is imperfect. Because God had to die for them. Hello? But not only does the gospel say that we're crummy people, the gospel then turns around and says that he's justified your crummy self. And he's made you whole. And therefore, no matter what you say about me, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now on the basis of that, I can now step into honest fellowship. Now, hold on. Because as I step into honest fellowship, as I step into honest conversation, there does need to be wisdom. Because I know that there are places in church where some of your situations is not safe for you. And I get it. And we're working as a church to have honest conversation. The reason why I do things like Bethel Live is because I want you to hear 
perspectives. I want you to wrestle through different people's testimonies, right? So that we can begin to develop in areas that we don't like to talk about. So that we can be more loving. Because some of it is just we're just ignorant about things. But here in Acts, God is calling us into a deep fellowship that when you can't pray, you got somebody that can pray for you. You ever, you ever needed somebody to pray for you? I'm talking about that. I mean, you tried to pray. You, you hear me? I mean, I, mean, I mean, you tried, right? And, and you just couldn't get the words out. Somebody came on the side of you and put their arm around you and said, I pray for you. When your resources has dried up. I mean, it's not because you were best steward with what you had. Life just hit you. Ever life just hit you? Right in the nose, in the mouth. One time I had a brother come to my office. And he was struggling. And he said, Pastor, I, I didn't want to tell anybody what I was going through. And I told him, I said, listen, God didn't give you that problem just for you. He gave you that problem for the body. And when you withhold that problem, it's stopping all of us from growing. Because God's people need to know how to respond to one another. And when you hide it, the devil uses it to crush you when, in fact, God wants to use it to, to grow us because God could just miraculously give you what you need. But he doesn't because he wants the body to grow. And so don't think that people's lack thereof is just for them. It may be God trying to grow you and your lack thereof of generosity. It's a two-way street. Yes, the church is messy. But this is us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For a challenging word this morning. Lord, fellowship is it's probably one of the hardest and sweetest of the habits of grace. Because prayer, we can go and pray by ourselves. Reading the Bible, we can go in our room and close the door and do that. And those are beautiful and wonderful things, and we should do it. But Lord, fellowship requires us to be known and to know one another. And Lord, that is that is difficult. And it's difficult for all sorts of reasons, depending on who the individual is. For some of us, it's hard because of the trauma we've experienced in our lives. For some of us, it's, it's hard because of the church pain that we've experienced. For some of us, it's hard because we just don't have the capacity in our life right now with everything that we got going on. 
And so, Lord, regardless of what our circumstance is, we know that you desire for us to be in fellowship, that we may grow into the image of Jesus. And so, Lord, this is what we need. We need courage to step out and to to open ourselves up. But, God, we need you to seeing the right brothers and sisters who can walk with us and talk with us through whatever it is that we may be going through. And Father, we also need help to really believe that you love us and that you died for us and that there's no condemnation on us. Father, here's the other thing that we need. We need you to give the church leadership wisdom in enriching our time of fellowship, to navigate the trickiness of the body, give us wisdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you help us to create time and space for Christian fellowship? And Lord, I pray when we enter into those spaces, it wouldn't be a competition of holiness. But instead, it would be brothers and sisters who see themselves as equal at the foot of the cross. And then in openness. Lord, I pray that you would create spaces where, where married couples can enter into and be honest that their marriage is struggling. And not to be judged because they had a bad day. Lord, where singles can enter into spaces and, and, and not be summed up by their singleness, but can also be honest about, about a, 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 a hard struggle in their singleness. Father, I pray that you create spaces where we can talk about political differences and not write one another off. Father, I pray that you can create spaces where we can begin to care collectively about the injustices in the world. God, move us beyond the head nod and the handshake and knit our hearts together in love by the power of your Holy Spirit that the world may see that there is a church that loves one another. Before we close this morning, if you're in the room and you say, Pastor, man, I, I hear you, and to some degree I feel you, but to another degree, bro, I'm not ready, but I want to be ready for fellowship. If that's you, if you would just slip your hand up, I want to pray, I want to pray for you. I see that hand up, I see that hand up. I see those hands going up all over the place. Father, you see those hands. I pray that you would answer their prayer to enter into fellowship. Lord, that they will not leave 2021 without at least a step in that direction. This is your church. We pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said. All right, we're going to sing because we love Jesus. But as we do, this altar is going to be open.
for anyone that needs prayer. And it doesn't have to be about fellowship. It can be about anything. I'm going to be down here to pray. I'm going to ask Will to come up here and uh, pray with me. I'm going to ask Mike Brown if he, if he would come. I'm going to ask T-Dub if she would come. And let's, let's sing and let's pray, church.